The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, family. Uh, we're reading from Acts 19, and that's on page 1113 on your, in your Bibles. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate, They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I'm a little disappointed that my physical body is kind of waging war against me today because you might not feel that this is my favorite chapter in the Bible. And you're like, well, it didn't read like your favorite chapter in the Bible because when you're hearing it, um, you're hearing stories about spirits and power and, and Paul teaching and finding people and, <coughs> excuse me, and it just, it doesn't read like one of the Psalms where you're walking through a valley and the Lord is with you or you're on the top of a mountain and the Lord is with you. It is a, it's a story that literally is telling what happened when Paul came to Ephesus. It's telling the story from Acts 18 into Acts 19, where Apollos had started to teach people, and Apollos had already started to do a work in this city, and then you find Paul showing up and starting to build on that work. And it doesn't sound very exciting, but, but you need to realize in my calling, in my life, it impacts me differently than it might impact you, because... I view this as a story of God, what God could do in Baltimore as it is in heaven. 
I could see this being, if we were in Acts chapter 2018, getting ready to go to Acts chapter 2019, what could, the, what could be written about the movement of God in and through his church in Baltimore in our generation? And so this chapter gives me great hope that our labor isn't in vain. This, this, this chapter gives me hope and, and gives me um, even almost like, a, like a, a picture on the horizon of what we're shooting towards and what is coming more and more and more into fruition every day, but yet isn't fully here yet. And the problem is, is I'm, I can be impatient. Um, my wife will agree that when things don't go the way that I want them to go, um, I, I, I go through a period of disappointment that many times takes me a little longer to come back around. Um, much like when I overcooked the meat on Thanksgiving Day, it took me a little while to recover uh, from the disappointment of that. Um, but, you know, when we hear in Acts 19, we're hearing the story of how God started a church in this city called Ephesus. And so today I want you guys to be able to focus on what I feel like are two questions. Um, because there's so much in this chapter that we're not going to get to today. We talked about this during prayer and fasting week in January, and so there's a podcast that's an hour and 20 minutes long that you can go back and listen to that's on Acts 19 that I think would be beneficial to you. So let me summarize it um, in 20 minutes this morning as best that I can. The two questions are, what is the church supposed to do? Um, So let me just reflect on that just for a moment. Um, is the church just supposed to gather and sing and dedicate babies? Um, you know, is the church just supposed to be a safe place we can get a warm cup of coffee or a hot tea and enjoy some hospitality? You know, is, is it supposed to just be a place where if you don't have ability to go see family, you can go to a Thanksgiving meal at someone's home? You know, what is the church really supposed to be doing? Um, I think Acts 19 gives us an incredible perspective on that. And then the second question is, is what does Jesus expect of me? So there's always this distancing, I feel like, that we can do. And let me try to paint a picture of it just for a moment. It's so easy for us to say, I really wish the church would show up for this. I really wish the church would go do this. Well, I think think many of you already know where I'm headed with this, is that we are the church, right? And so if you claim a relationship through Jesus Christ to the Father, that means that we are the church. The church is a creative way that we have named the family of God. And so if Andrew goes to work, is the church at work? Yes. And if you go to the gym, is the church at work? Right. If you are serving food to the poor, is the church at work? Right. So here's my my question, is how many times do we automatically separate ourselves by saying, I wish the church would, when it should be a reflective question saying, what does God expect of me? Because I am the church. And so I can't just think, I wish that there was a different reputation to the church because it's our reputation. So we all need to be contributing to the renewal of the name of Jesus Christ, in the power of Christ, in the work of his family in the world today. So the, the book of Acts in nine, chapter 19 talks about the foundation to the people that Paul eventually writes a letter later in your New Testament. If you turn the pages a few pages to the right, you'll find a letter called Ephesians. And Acts 19 is the story of why Paul had to write Acts to the, the letter to the Ephesus church. 
The, the book of Ephesians was approximately written about 20 years after Acts 19. So the people that we're reading about in Acts 19 had been uh, taught about Jesus Christ from Paul and then had nearly a 20-year absence of communication from him, and then you get the letter to the Ephesus church. And here's what I want to ask of you. It's not in your notes, but I would encourage you to do this. This week, would you please read the book of Ephesians? Because if you want to know what the church is supposed to do, if you want to answer the question, what does Jesus expect of me? The letter to the people in Ephesus is an incredibly informative, inspiring way for you and I to know what we ought to be doing. And it takes you 15 minutes to read the whole letter. I think it's something that we maybe even could commit to reading every day this week because we sure enough have the time to do so. So there's an incredible amount of history written in the book of Acts, especially here. And so the other part of this that I, I wanted to put on, on a slide for you is the account in Acts and the letter to the church in Ephesus um, is what we need to know about what is expected of me as a leader and what is expected of you as his church. And I want you to understand there are some differences. And I, and I, and I don't enjoy the differences. Can I just be honest? Because I know that because I get a chance to wear a microphone and stand in front of you on a regular basis, that God is going to hold me accountable to everything I ever say to you. And any truth, anything that I'm dogmatic about, anything that I say, thus saith the Lord, is going to have a light shown on it. And if I am doing the things that honor God, it's going to stand. And if, I'm, if it's personal and selfish on my part, it's going to be something that the Lord's going to have to give an account of. And so the letter to the church in Ephesus um, is a letter that has people like me in it. And so if you want to know what it is that I should be doing, read the letter to Ephesus. If you want to know what you should be doing, you need to read the letter to the people in Ephesus because it talks about both. The, what is happening in, Ephes in Ephesus, the, people, the book of Ephesians is a beautiful picture of how we are discipled and how people come to faith because of our discipleship. Now, I want you to see this. It is so important. Jesus didn't just die so that you could be saved. Jesus died so you could be saved and join him in a saving work. We are not supposed to be the end of the journey. It is a path through us towards others. And so often what ends up happening is, is we get comfortable believing in Christ. And so we just say, okay, I am so glad that I've been forgiven. And it stops there with this sense of confidence, this sense of security, this sense of like a baby being held by a father in, a, in precious arms. And like, I am so, I so love this. But yet that's not the end of the gospel. The good news is, is that we have been forgiven so that other people can be told that they're forgiven and be set free from the things that are binding them up. And so we need to understand what it looks like to have people pouring into us so that we're prepared to pour into other people. But the issue with uh, the American church, let me just speak to the American church that I, that I know the most about, is that we have become such a knowledge-based church that you never feel like you know enough to tell anybody anything about Jesus. You always feel like you need one more book, one more 
pastor's sermon, one more podcast, one more whatever, and you always feel insecure of telling people about how you believe in Jesus Christ. And the enemy has used our Western thought to cripple us or to hold us mute because we always feel like that we're not capable or that we're ill-equipped or we don't have enough information in order to open up our mouth and tell our friends, you know what, I might not be able to articulate this very clearly, but I believe in Jesus. And you're just feeling responsible to share what you believe and why you believe it. And so much of what's happening in Acts 19 is about a group of people that literally just started to practice what they had been taught. And it changed an entire city in less than three years. If you read all the way to the end of Acts 19, you can see that in three years it had grown from 20 people to a city, excuse me, 12 people to a citywide impact in just three years. A couple of years ago, actually it's been more than that now, it's just, I think it was the summer of 08, I had a chance to travel to Cairo, Egypt, which was amazing, by the way, and then I got to go to Alexandria and see the library in Alexandria and all these amazing things that um, I, I, just, I still can't get over the fact that I've actually literally been to the pyramids and been to the Sphinx and walked into um, the, the, the areas in Egypt and gone down the street that they believe that they laid aside as the place that Jesus went to when he was fleeing as a two-year-old and all the kind of cool things about all of that. But it has helped me in many ways to understand context of what it's like and because I've been there and that I've seen it. And this is what Acts 19 is to the letter to the people in Ephesus. It is the history. It is the foundation. It is the context in which it's helping people to be able to taste and see and to experience what was really happening in that early church. And I believe it has great impact for us. Ephesus was a leading city in almost every category. Can I just make that very clear to you? A modern-day equivalent would be New York, London, um, you know, Tokyo, other, other cities where it is incredibly populated, but centers of finance, centers of worship, centers of influencing culture. And what is popular in New York this month is, in, is popular in every cultural group across the country the next month. It's like it's the trendsetter. It's the place where everybody rallies around it. And the city of Ephesus, because of its trade and the place that it was, was had ships constantly coming in and bringing goods and constantly going out because of the way that it just happened to be at a crossroads of, of the civilization at that time. And so it was strategically placed and strategically impacting everybody around it, and it had a world influence on it. But if you know anything about the city of Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was in the city of Ephesus. And do any of you know which one it was? Which one? Yeah, the temple to Artemis. And if you know anything about the temple of Artemis, it was the goddess of sexuality. It was this multi-breasted woman that would, would, would be this statue that people would buy and would take with them and continue to worship. And it was places where people would come because there were thousands of prostitutes that worked this temple. And as an act of worship, they would participate in all types of different sexuality um, and expressions of that. And so the city of Ephesus not only was culturally relevant in all areas, it was the leading epicenter of the human sexual experience in this day and time. And so much of that was going on. It is also noted that Caesar hid his money in the temple of Artemis. It was like the bank. 
a place where he could go and just place all of his money because he knew it was going to be safe in that environment because nobody would go into the temple and, and, and seek to steal because they felt Artemis was so powerful. There were so many traditions in the city of Ephesus around Artemis that they even set aside an entire month, similar to like our Christmas journey, where they would celebrate everything with Artemis for weeks on end and, and, and end in this miraculous giving and celebration and, and sharing that would take place, yes, sexually, but also in many other ways, of finances and making sure that people had what they needed, where they had this entire month of just focusing all that. And then you have Paul with 12 people in a room talking about Jesus. And within three years, they shifted the culture of the city of Ephesus. Just 12 people. And the only thing those 12 people knew was the baptism of John when they met Paul. They didn't know about the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ. They didn't know about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And just with them setting aside the time to listen and to be taught, an entire city was changed so much so that if we were to read on to the end, a riot broke out because the wealthy business people were losing money because the people were no longer buying the statues of Artemis. It would be like as if Pornography was getting deleted and all the business owners were like, wait a minute, we're not selling pornography anymore. This is what was happening in the city of Ephesus because 12 people were diligent. And so what was it that was actually taking place here? What did Paul actually do in the city of Ephesus? I think a couple of things are really important. He looked for people that were already spiritual, invited them into the fullness of salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is what I think is so important about this statement. Somehow I've got to figure out a way with our other elders and our growth community leaders to look you deep in the face and say, yes, Jesus, but the fullness of Jesus. Yes, Jesus, but there is so much maturity in Jesus that we can accomplish together. There's so much more that he wants to invite us into. And so rather than it being like a public stage, oh, would you please come for discipleship on Saturday morning at 9 a.m.? Um, where there is this sense of looking deeply into each other's eyes saying, yes, Jesus died for us, but do we not understand the gift of his spirit? Do we not understand the power of his resurrection? Do we not understand that he wants to make a difference in the world today, even though we desire for him to come back because we are beaten and worn down? Like We want Jesus' second coming, but until that day, we have something to do, and it's to be the church. And so we've got to figure out what it looks like for us to invite ourselves into the fullness of Christ, which means that that crosses economic lines, that crosses ethnic lines, that crosses educational barriers, where it crosses anywhere where we have a prejudice. Anytime we would say like those people or them people, and there's a sense of I'm over here and these people are over there, I just want to say that is a call for us to say be a bridge. That is a call for us to say, I'm going to lay down what I am, I, I am comfortable in and I am going to do my best to say, I'm stepping towards you because of Jesus. I'm not stepping towards you because I want to be praised. I'm stepping towards you because I want you to know the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so I'm laying my life down for you because that's the way Jesus did for me. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 
excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, which I always love how Paul does this. He reminds people when he's about ready to tell them something powerfully true about how much God loves them. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. And then in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he goes on to say, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk but of power. That's kind of what I'm longing for for us right now as a church. I don't want us to just talk a good game while we're in here. I want us to be filled with power. And some of you might be like, okay, that kind of freaks me out thinking about the supernatural side of our faith. But there is so much in our faith that we haven't even tapped into. And so I want to invite us to the fullness of Jesus. I don't want to just know that we're secure for eternity. I want us to be invited into the full power of Jesus Christ because people in our city are desperate to know about Jesus. And it's going to take the power of Christ alive in us that's ever going to bridge the gap. Like I, because I have family coming to visit me this weekend, I had a chance to spend some time with my brother-in-law, and he just looked at me as I was driving um, uh, something back to the church office. He rode with me, and, and in the midst of the conversation and driving through the city, he says, Ellis, do you ever feel like you're going to make a difference here? Yeah. I'm like, well, that's the way to make it deep. Thanks, bro. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping we were going to talk about the Redskin-Dallas game or something, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, I just paused for a moment, and I just looked at him, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, it's going to work, like yeast and bread. There's, there's power that we need to grow into the fullness of that's available to us. The other thing that Paul did here in this chapter that I think is important to highlight is he freed people of the powers that have strongholds over them. We don't have time to fully get into this today. But if you go to Revelations and you look at the letters to the churches listed in the book of Revelations, you will find that in those letters, the, the letters of Christ to them, to these cities, spoke to them about the spirit of those cities. Each one had a unique controlling spirit. Baltimore has controlling spiritual forces that are at work here that I think are very unique to Baltimore. We don't have time to talk about them. I feel like there's a multiplicity of them. Um, I feel like that in many ways, when you look at the pain and you look at the, the ways that our whole nation has hurt because of decisions that have been made here, um, you begin to understand the work of that pain and all of the controllingness of those spirits. And the letters to the church in, to, in, the, in the book of Revelation was, is the church's temptation is to fall subservient to the spirit of the city versus the spirit of Jesus that then brings a new spirit into that city. And the church is supposed to be a place where there's new spirit new life, new power, people that are held up in bondage are set free, where generational issues are then broken, where people that have no hope are given hope. And our city is full of people that have no hope. 
Our high schools are full of kids that have no dreams past their senior year because the only thought they have is they just want to live to be 18, let alone to have a future. And so trying to put myself in those shoes, I'm sitting here thinking the church needs to have power because people are being told that there's no future. There's a spirit in this city that's communicating to another generation to say, don't have dreams, don't have hopes, don't grow in love because you're never going to use it. That is a lie. And the church is here to set them free from that and to, to give them a powerful future. The other thing Paul does here repeatedly is why he rented this special place to teach these 12 that grew into many others is he wanted to teach them right theology. And let me just tell you the best definition that, that has helped me with theology is that it's right thinking about God. And so here's the problem. When do you, when do you realize that you're not thinking rightly about God? Like what mechanisms are in place that you can check your thoughts to? Because there's a lot of things that we're confident in that we think we know are true about God. But yet, do we know they're true about God? And I believe that getting together with spiritual leadership, studying the scriptures in prayer consistently will help us break down where we're thinking wrongly about God. There are so many places where I hear people say things that I'm like, ah, that's not true. It's like my spirit just quivers inside of me because people think that God is hurting them or that God has a posture to make their life miserable. Like as if it's God who is saying, because we believe the sovereignty of God, that every bad thing that happens to us is God's will for our life. I've done too many funerals with parents, with children, because their child has died through a vehicular accident or through cancer or something. And the question is, is like, well, why would God kill a child? Let me just tell you this. God doesn't want anybody to die. We have a wrong thinking about the Old Testament and the violence of the Old Testament, and we've never been taught how to process that in light of Jesus Christ, because it's in Jesus that we get the full image of the loving God that's in heaven. And did Jesus ever kill anybody? No. Did Jesus ever make anybody sick? No, he healed people from sickness. So what is God's posture to those that are sick? Even in John chapter 9, in that beautiful gospel chapter of the blind man, when the disciples walk up to him and start saying, well, is he blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? Which I want to remind you, the man was blind, but he wasn't deaf. And so he's listening to these disciples with Jesus talk about his blindness. And from that perspective, sitting there, I would want to get up and I would just start swinging until I hit somebody. Right? But yet in that moment, no. Jesus was using that as an opportunity to show the kingdom of God breaking through, and that man became a powerful witness of Jesus Christ in that region. All right, so in Acts chapter 19, there's four things that I really feel like are important for me to close on with you that I want you to see, and then I want to encourage you this week, read Acts 19 and read the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus. So what do we see in Acts 19? We see discipleship. We see power. We see theology. And we see a public recognition of the gospel. Public. 
If you feel uncomfortable acknowledging Jesus in here, I probably assume that you feel very uncomfortable acknowledging Jesus where you live, learn, work, and play. The letter to the Ephesus church, the story of Acts 19, I believe will give you the courage and the power to live your faith in public where you believe that you can look at your friends and your coworkers in the face and say without any shame, without any guilt, this is why I believe in Jesus Christ. And you can walk in that. And so you see discipleship. They, gave, they spent an enormous amount of time together in three years. They spent a disproportionate amount of time. It was like the Netflix binging for Christianity. Paul's here, so we're going to go through all seven seasons of Paul. And they just did it. And they just drank it in. And an entire city was renewed. Was, was, or at least was exposed to the renewing work. Everyone had an encounter with somebody and they could talk about Jesus Christ and it was spreading with power. There was power. There's, I would love for there to be a power where people are healed and set free and, and that we could pray here and people in other zip codes would be impacted by it where the overflow of what's happening here on Sunday could be carried into the streets and people that just touch our shadows would feel the powerful work of Jesus Christ. Do we even believe that that's accessible to us today? We need to be thinking rightly about God and we need to talk about it. It's been an amazing journey to see what God has done in Baltimore in the last 10 years. Um, But when I look at many of you and I think about the conversations that we've had in the last few weeks about ministry to the poor and ministry to one another and the ways that we're strengthening growth community life, let me just tell you, I'm more excited about the next 10 years than I am about the things we accomplished in the first. There are some things that could happen in our faith family that would light you up, and I mean that in a powerful way, where you are just overwhelmed with joy and excitement even though we're experiencing suffering and pain. If we make disciples and we focus on him, I believe that there's going to be a powerful work that God's going to do in and through us. So Paul found disciples. He spent tons of time with them. He had the working of the Holy Spirit, and they exalted the name of Jesus. So here, how do we respond today? So how do we pray according to this Acts 19? I've got a couple of questions I put on here for you. How should we pray according to Acts 19? Are you wanting to really know Jesus? Maybe that's your prayer this week is you sit in a moment of stillness where you're blocking out everything else and you say, Father, is it in my heart to really know Jesus? Do I just want forgiveness of my sins or do I really just do I really want all of it? Do I want everything that comes with Christ? Uh, where could you free up your schedule to learn and practice? Again, it's intentional. We have in the palm of our hand now more, more tools and abilities to be able to schedule our day in increments of five minutes. Like, no, it's crazy what we can do. But how much of this do we really sit down and say, I want to know Christ, so now how does that impact my schedule? Where can I create more opportunity for this? Where do you need to see power? Like, do you ever sit down and, and just reflect upon the conversations you had with the people around you and said, you know what, I talked to James for like 10 minutes about, you know, the frustrations of X. And I'm like, wait a minute, if I'm talking to him for him to 10 minutes about this frustration, 
maybe I need to see God's power poured out in that situation, so maybe I should take time to pray for 10 minutes. And say, you know what, this, there's a brokenness. Like, like I can't just say, like, Father, I'm, I'm frustrated that young men and young women in our city have no hope and talk to everybody about it and even be an advocate for it, but then never to talk to my Father in heaven about it? I mean, we've got to get to a place where we are looking for and asking to see God's power. And here's the other question, is who's on your heart? Like, who are you thinking about? Who are you concerned for? And do they have the hope in Jesus Christ? That might be the person God is pushing you towards and saying, look, I want the light of Christ to grow in you. Who is on your heart? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the story of the church in Ephesus that we can read the origins. Father, we don't want to just be a church. We want to be the church. Father, I need wisdom to shepherd and to lead with others in our church family in a way that brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Father, we need wisdom to know how to say, this is Jesus, let's follow him. But Father, we also want all of us, Lord, to be like, yes, Jesus. Father, we struggle with our stewardship of time and resources and relationships. We want to be good stewards of them. Father, we struggle to even mention the name of Jesus in our conversations throughout the day. And we just confess to you, Lord, we... We are sorry for that. Would you forgive us for that? Lord, would you help us to not hide the light of Christ in us? That we would let people know that the reason why we have the values that we do, the reason why we act the way that we do, or the reason why we're asking for forgiveness in this moment to them is because of Jesus. We want to honor Christ. We want to honor Christ in the good things we do, and we want to honor Christ, Lord, when we make mistakes. And so, Father, would you help us? Lord, we want to see our city renewed. We want to see the spiritual forces that have had their time in Baltimore bound up and and thrown out. Lord, we want to see a new spirit here. Father, we want to see the spirit of Christ exalted here. And so, Lord, would you um, help this to be true today? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.